Mr. Hills, Mr. Hills, what's your plans for Super Bowl Saturday against Mikey Wolfrack? What kind of disgust, despic, despicable lack of respect does that Billy What's-His-Name show booking a match with me against Mikey Wolfrack at Super Brawl? Super Saturday? What is it called? What is it called? Super Brawl Saturday. Super Brawl Saturday? Doesn't he know? I'm one of the biggest legend stars this guy. Does he even have the money to pay me to wrestle, Mikey Wolfrack? I don't know. And your t-shirts are too tight too, Billy. I am the total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Doors locked too. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest on World Championship Wrestling. It is set for one fall. Hey, dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, event status radio. They're recording again. <laughs> Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Live from the offices of YouTube and recording live from the letters L through P. This is Mid Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Joining me is my podcast partner, my broadcast colleague, Mr. Beverly Hills, representing once again the letters 90210. What's happening, Mr. Hills? I think this one's more broadcast live from. Uh, Hallways of back of high school gymnasiums and uh, casino showrooms and uh, the Davis Arena. I think that's where this one's coming to us live from. Not a lot of arenas in in this uh, in this segment of the YouTube A through Z series. Maybe we are recording this during the greatest pay per view ever, Super Brawl Saturday. <laughs> Super, Super Brawl, Super Saturday. What is it called? What is it called? It's called Net Event Status Radio, Mister uh, Lux Luger. It's okay. I don't know. <laughs> so we are going through I'm the letters now. We are going through the letters L through P, Mister Hills. How do you like? How do you like? How do you like the series so far? Well, it's going great so far. Um, this time. YouTube kind of let us down because yeah. I feel like there are better matches of these folks that we have. Um, but we kind of, we got kind of an amalgamation of like late career stuff, kind of junky stuff. Um, you know, things, things of that nature, but you know, let's jump in. Let's get to hey, it. Well, before we do how you're mentioning, mentioned that we were getting junky stuff. I was down and depressed a little bit watching this stuff. Like, this stuff kind of sucks. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not feeling it. That I remember, you know, a couple weeks ago for the first series, how you or the first part, how you're mentioning that you wanted to do this series because we, we most likely won't touch 
this stuff during our, during our WWE Network series. So that made me feel a little bit better that we probably aren't ever going to touch this stuff again. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where like some hidden treasures need to be brought to the surface, but some hidden treasures just need to stay hidden. Yeah. <laughs> so let's. And I think most most of the stuff there, I a couple matches I was like, this is pretty cool, but for the most part, we can we can keep it aside. But yeah. So something that I don't want to keep aside is the next letter, the letter L, as in Lex Luger. Yeah, the total package. He's one of the biggest legend stars ever in this guy. So what is your first thoughts when you, when you hear the name Lex Luger? Uh, to be honest, like so since like the last 10 years of being on the internet, it's the Billy What's-His-Name t-shirt <laughs> too tight promo. For me, I guess it had to be the total package. Just right because. on. Well, he'll rip you apart. Yes. So the promo that we get, we kind of mentioned off. We were touching on it, yeah. <laughs> is a infamous Super Bowl Saturday promo that Lex Luger cut within, like you said, within the last ten years or so. Yeah, give or take. I think it's maybe from like '04 yeah, ish. Yeah. So the pro, yeah the promo was building up. I, well, I don't know what promotion was. Do you know what the promotion? cyber Cyberspace Wrestling Federation? Okay. That's what the CSWF thing is behind him, yeah. So, yeah, he was Luger was building up his match against Ron Killings at Super Bowl Saturday. Right, yep. And this guy dressed as, like, a pimp, kind of. He's in, like, a blue suit. He's got a blue hat. He has a giant key around his neck. He's flagging down Lex Luger. Mr. Luger, Mr. Luger. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, like, really, to be honest, with this promo is so amazing. If you haven't seen it, you just need to really seek it out. Like, words cannot do this justice. You know, you need to see Luger struggling with this T-shirt. You need to see him freaking out. You need to see him wondering if Billy What's-His-Name can afford to pay him. It's a sight to behold. It's only a minute long, so you need to you need to watch it. No, I, ha- I have to ask you, Mister Hills. What I got out of this promo was Luger, just like me, was having a bunch of Mercer moments. Mercer moments. He was having a tough day. Uh, it made me laugh watching this promo for the podcast and seeing him having troubles with you know taking his shirt off, stumbling <laughs> over words, memorizing things remembering things and I felt like he was pulling a me pulling a Bill Mercer moment having a Bill Mercer moment yeah I don't really see the Bill Mercer connection I guess but yeah he was having a tough time remembering stuff to be sure I guess I like to call it Mercer moments so but that's just me though okay right Uh, on I guess yeah we uh, do we have any other comments for this promo no just one of the greatest promos of all time so the match that we got, I was kind of excited about it for the first, I don't know, 30 seconds when I opened it up. The match was Lux Luger defending his United States Championship against Sid Vicious from WCW Worldwide from March 2nd, 1991. Yeah, I, I overall thoughts, I liked this match. I don't know what you're talking about. 
I guess. Well, it, well, in the end, I did like it. Uh, when, when I opened up, like, okay, Luger versus Sid, both are known for not really being the greatest workers. Let's see how this one turns out. And I yeah. feel like both, I feel like both guys did go uh, far. I went beyond what they normally do to try to pull out a decent match. Uh huh. Yeah, I th- I thought this one definitely kind of rose above both of what they're usually up to. For, surprisingly enough, Mr. Beverly Hills, I do know who are who are our announcers are for this match. Yeah, because they opened the video. If you didn't, <laughs> that would be a that'd be kind of tough. Tony Schiavone, yeah, Gordon Soli. Yeah, you got it. And. Something I enjoyed with this clip that the announcers put over that Sid's been sending his opponents out on stretchers and wants to do that to Luger. I enjoyed it because it helps put into context what we'll see later on in the match after the match happens. Yep, that's kind of the angle here that's happening is that Sid is putting everybody on stretchers and eventually as his time is kind of uh, winding down here, it ends with a stretcher match. Um stretcher match with El Gigante, so. <laughs> and what, what's your thoughts on the two quick pre-tape footages that we had with Lux Luger and Sid? Oh, uh, they're pretty good. We got Sid kind of again uh, talking about, you know, pushing his angle here, pushing that he's going to send Luger out on a stretcher. And uh, Luger's is less memorable to me. It was just kind of him, you know, saying that he's going to keep his title, so. Yeah, I was going to say what I... Wrote for, oh yeah, for Sid it made me laugh that I wrote down, Sid said, "I'm Sid, and you're not." Like, yeah, duh, that's obvious that you're Sid Vicious and Lux Luger isn't. And Luger, yeah, didn't really have much to say. Yeah, it was just it was very basic. He, uh, I don't know, he flexed for the camera. <laughs> One one thing I enjoyed was, I think the when the ring announcer was introducing Sid, you know, since, since Sid was the first guy that that this match is ba- it had had a you know TV time limit. It was based on what we had left for TV, TV time remaining. I enjoy having time limits and being announced because to me it gives the match more importance that those guys have to also besides beating each other had to beat the time if they want. If they want the W and the title. Sure. So as usual, I took note of what the guys were wearing for this match. Sid is in red tights, black knee pads, and boots. Lux Luger is in black tights, black knee pads, and white boots. I just felt like That was, is indeed what they're wearing. I just felt, felt that was a... a uh, Funky like a monkey attire for Lex Luger with white boots. Oh, he always wore white boots. Fair enough. In, I, his, in his, like, 80s and 90s era. I don't know if I knew a time where he didn't. I guess that when I saw Lex Luger wearing, those, uh, wearing that attire, it reminded me of Triple H from WrestleMania 20. He wore it in WWF, too. I don't know a time where Luger didn't wear white boots. I'm just saying this is what I, I remember I thought of when I saw Lex Luger with, like that. Cool. Whatever. So one thing I really enjoyed was how the fans were really into Lux Luger and into the in the match. 
Yeah, they were. These these fans were super hot during this during this match from from beginning to end, and you know they they really went with the flow of the match uh, when there would be big shots from from both sides, and um, like you said, Luger coming out. Yeah, they they were great. The the whole the whole deal. It touched my heart hearing the fans chant Luger Luger Luger. Just because of the promo we watched before this match. Okay. Yeah, no, I wonder if the Cyberspace Wrestling Federation uh, fans chanted for Luger. It probably it probably would just sound like one person like, Luger, Luger. Because there was 30 <laughs> people in the high school gym in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yes, which is always, always sad. <laughs> uh, was it me or did, did it seem like the match started out pretty slow? Oh gosh, I don't think so. Okay, it was, been, I mean, it was kind different. of a, it was kind of a feeling out process, but it it was more than what we usually see because it was very kind of a hard hitting um, feeling out process where they're really locking up and driving each other into the corner and you know kind of back and forth there uh, without one kind of gaining the advantage until. Uh, Nick Patrick, who's who keeps breaking him up, he he breaks him up finally, and then uh, Sid is able to throw a shot over him to to gain the upper hand. And I I really liked these first couple of minutes. I thought that was a a really good um kind of step to put over that these two guys are you know both they're matched and they're two big bruisers and. Uh, Neither of them has the upper hand. Okay, I wish I would have put in my notes why I felt like the match was pretty slow, but but I know I did notice or I did note that I did. I was surprised to see Sid book it and run himself into the corner at full speed and Luger r- jumping out of the way. Yeah, these two were. I thought they were moving really well through the whole through the whole match. They definitely start to slow down. This is like a twelve minute match or so. So. They they start to slow down toward the end. You can definitely see them starting to get kind of gassed out. But at the beginning, they're really uh, they're really kind of pushing to the limit. Which is which, like I said, it's really nice to see these two guys doing that. Especially why I mentioned too that normally we we don't when we think of Lex Luger matches or Sid Vicious matches that we normally don't think of stuff like that out of, from those two. Yeah, and I mean these two get a really bad reputation. And when I picked Luger, I was hoping that we would get something from 92 well basically from his WCW run earlier because i know the stuff that you've seen you've seen all the crap luger yeah. and you listen to and you listen to podcasts where they hate luger yeah they crap all because, over luger yeah because they only watch stuff from his terrible era Right. And if you only watch 96 to 98 Luger, you're going to think he sucks because well, he does. Yeah. I, I feel like even his, I guess, second half run in WWF, I guess, yes. from WrestleMania 10 on, I feel like that run in WWF Luger was, wasn't so great either. Yeah. He was garbage in, in WWF. But if you watch 89 to 91 Luger, you're going to see a lot of good stuff. And especially 90 and 91. Um, and really even 95 when he comes back to, to WCW and into the 96 stuff we saw, I don't think he looked bad. But here, you know, he's he's running around. He throws a cross body at one point. 
Um, he's selling the when Sid hits a lariat about a quarter way into the match. Um, that's more selling than Luger did in the last ten years of his career. Uh, he almost did a whole flip, <laughs> right? So it was. Um, yeah, I th- I thought his performance and and you can see where he's at uh, in '91. We're we're both really good. Oh, something that I guess I was surprised. I guess what he was surprised to see was in this clip. Tony sends us to a commercial break, and whoever uploaded this video left in the WCW this week promo by. I originally wrote down some blonde guy that I realized it was Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Yeah, because he says his name like five times. He goes, I'm Nature Boy Buddy Landell. Because if he didn't say his name at all, I wouldn't have any clue on who he was. Oh, man. Then you got to watch more Buddy Landell. Yes. Uh, A funny line. We should put L for Buddy Landell. That would have been better. Maybe if we do this again, he can be the L. Something that I got a good chuckle out of was him saying, World Championship Wrestling is where it's happening. Just because just because I always, at the beginning of every podcast, I always ask you, Mr. Beverly Hills, what's a happening? <laughs> right on. Yep, and he's he's coming after Ric Flair. He says if he's a seven-time world champion, that means he lost six times, and he's going to yes. give him the seventh loss. Yep. It's something that made me, made me kind of chuckle was that Buddy Landell mentioned that Ted Turner and Jim Hurd went to Buddy Landell and asked him ideas for TV ratings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That something, I guess that made me laugh. I mentioned it because why would they go to Buddy Landell for TV ratings? Because he's a heel and he's a liar. That Heels say that. Mr. Beverly Hills, I want to talk to you about podcast ratings. No, nothing? No, nothing. Because yeah. I don't think you answer. you didn't like really respond to what I said. You just kind of had your your deal. But I, I guess that makes... what you are going to say. I guess that does make sense on him being a heel and, and all that. I guess it is he, heel-esque things to say that Oh, yeah, Bossman came to me for TV ratings. Cause exactly. He said, how can we pump up the ratings? Yeah, of course he would say that. And I felt like he said other stuff that really doesn't matter. No, because this isn't his. He t- he talked for 20 seconds in this whole thing. Let's not get bogged down in this Buddy Landau okay. problem. Then we come back from commercial <laughs> break. Yep, and that's when Luger hit that really really good cross body. Um, was it off the top? No, off the ropes. He... He uh, sprung off the ropes and hit a crossbody and looked really good. Well, yeah, because I put that in my notes, too, that I was surprised to see that crossbody. Yeah. And at this point, this is where I really kind of started to kind of perk up and realize, like, this is a good match. Like, we're watching a good match here. Um, You know, Sid was in control, and he was um, kind of working on grinding down Luger. And uh, he he threw him outside uh, and worked on him outside. You know, I don't. I don't hit the the announcer comments very often, but Gordon did have a really good point, I thought. Uh, and he says that, you know, uh, Sid wants this win because being a champion means you make more money. Well, and, I, uh, yeah. I didn't know what that. Yeah, Gordon told us, told, tells us that there's hundreds of thousands of dollars running on this match. And that's the difference between being a champion and being a challenger. Right, exactly. And like you're saying too, that I've said it before on different podcasts. I enjoy when announcers say stuff like that because it puts over title matches and puts over why 
the challenger wants to beat the champion and take the title. Yeah. Or just in general, why you want to win. Yeah. You know, why why does he want to win this match, right? And I know right around this time, too, that Sid did a nip-up, which I was surprised to see. Cause yeah. I, don't, I don't ever imagine seeing Sid do a nip-up. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is a good match. They're bringing out, they're bringing out everything for Worldwide in 1991, a random Worldwide match. But, yeah, Sid also hit a – after they came back in, he hit a cool, really cool kind of standing neck breaker – like a um, diamond cutter without the panache. Um, and then he tries to throw Luger out, but that we get a kind of a Lex up situation here. Uh, he's trying, Sid's trying to hammer him, but he's, he's no selling it. And Luger hits a power slam and a, and a good looking vertical suplex, but he just gets two. Um, then they both kind of fall outside yeah. and just kind of. Before keep, we go to the outside spot. I did okay. note that before hitting Sid with a suplex, Luger did look at the crowd and yelled out, Ha! <laughs> it, made, it made me chuckle to hear, you know, see him try to get the fans in, into him giving Sid a suplex. Yeah, they were way into it. They already were. He didn't need to do anything to get him into it. So, so they're fighting outside, and Luger throws Sid into the post, and he is able to rush in right before the count, and we get our... Uh, Ten count to count out win here for for Luger. So yeah, so Luger wins, and before I thought within a heartbeat of Luger rolling rolling into the ring and scoring the count out victory, Sid also rolled in too, mm-hmm. yeah, like a heartbeat behind Luger and attacked him from behind. Yep, dropped a few elbows to the Luger's back and smashed his face in the mat and taunts the crowd to the crowd raining booze on the Sid mm-hmm. vicious. Yeah. Yep, that's certainly true. Then Sid calls for a stretcher, and... And it was there, like, in half a second, which I'm like, whoa. (laughs) WCW is at the top of their stretcher game. Man, these orderlies are right on the edge of the ring with the stretcher ready. They're they're at the top notch of of wrestler health in 1991. Yeah, Sid tries to powerbomb him, Luger back body drops him, and... And yeah, Luger closes on him over the top rope, and Sin lands on the stretcher, then freaks out. And like both he and the the announcers are like selling that Luger put him on the stretcher. <laughs> no, he fell over the top rope and fell onto the stretcher. If we want to look at what it looks like putting someone on the stretcher, we'll get to it later today. That's putting somebody on a stretcher. This is him falling onto it. Uh, so they're they're really like like oh, L- Sid said he was gonna put Luger on the stretcher, but Sid's on the stretcher. I'm like, well, let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> so Lux Luger's a winner. I read this match two stars just because I wasn't that thrilled about a countout finish. Right, on. I went three stars. I thought this was. You know, definitely one of the better Lex Luger and or Sid matches that you're going to get, certainly with each other, but with someone, this is probably one of the better matches that you're going to see Lex Luger, not with either Sting or Flair, uh, and it's going to be one of the best Sid matches, just period. Yeah, which, like we said, Sid, depends on who you, I guess with and Luger too, depends on who they're working with, they can, they, they, they can have a good match. They can have all right matches, yeah. yeah. Definitely, and definitely like Luger this time period and before, like I was talking about. 
So the next letter in our alphabet is the letter M for Shawn Michaels. Definitely. And this is one of your guys, so why did you put in for me to do Shawn Michaels? Because I think I mentioned before on the podcast that Hulk Hogan got me into watching professional wrestling. It was Shawn Michaels as way as my first childhood hero, my first real favorite professional wrestler. For the reasons why, looking back at it now, I don't know why a six, seven, eight year old dirty dog like <laughs> a stripper Shawn Michaels. But I, think, <laughs> I think I enjoyed him, you know, seeing a smaller guy pulling out great performances, having great matches with a lot of people and having all that energy and fire that he brought to a lot of his matches when he was motivated to. Sure, I understand that. That makes total sense that uh, seeing the underdog guy, even if he wasn't necessarily in the underdog role, but seeing the underdog guy bringing a lot of fire, bringing a lot of heat, yeah, I get that. Then what is your first thoughts on Shawn Michaels? Oh, man, Shawn Michaels, chaps. Fair enough. I guess for me it has to be, which we covered you know, back at our Road to WrestleMania 11 series, his Royal Rumble 1995 match. Oh, sure, okay. Because I you know, mentioned many times before, I always run to that Royal Rumble 95 just for seeing Shawn Michaels going coast to coast and then making up the Shawn Michaels rule for the Royal Rumble that all you... Both feet had to touch the floor. (laughs) Right on, right on. The youngster Carlos Colon. That's always what I think of when I hear hear Rumble 95. That's the first thing I think of is the youngster Carlos Colon. So this promo that we got for Shawn Michaels today isn't really much of a promo. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, like, I guess to me, promos and segments, whatever, non-wrestling segments all lumped together. But yeah, this promo, we actually don't get Shawn Michaels talking. But he doesn't need to. He... He's so freaking over in this, it doesn't even matter. So this happened the night after No Mercy 2007. Yes. Where, I think I think the Raw before, so the week before, it was supposed to be John Cena taking on Randy Orton for the WWE title. John Cena was the WWE champion for, I believe, right around 13 months, and he went out for, oh, wow. okay. went out for injury. So at the beginning of No Mercy... Oh, God, yes. Yeah, so beginning of No Mercy, McMahon... Awarded Randy Orton the WWE title. Triple H came out and said, people shouldn't be awarded WWE titles. I'm challenging you for the title. Triple H won the title. Defended the title against his match against Umaga that was advertised before. Then McMahon said, oh, we advertised a last man standing match for the WWE title. So that's going to happen. So Randy Orton won his second WWE title on the same night. So this was the the night after where... Orton was on a pedestal, and McMahon wanted Triple H to come out to shake Orton's hand. He was going to have everybody come yeah. out and shake his hand. That's why they were all all the raw roster was lined up on the on the stage, and they were going to come down one by one. But he wanted Triple H to come out first. But instead of Triple H, we got somebody else. Yep, we got to the, the you know the famous HBK music, and he comes down. And as he's coming down, Vince definitely looks like he's going to cry. Like he's 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 got it kind of got the far far away stare, his lips trembling a little bit, and I'm like, oh man, this is gonna cry right here. Something I enjoyed about this watching this segment was some of the camera angles that we got. Like, like I think there was one that kind of like over. Well, this reminded me of WCW kind of over the corner kind of an- okay. angle that I wish WWE would continue to do nowadays because I felt like 
watching this clip and seeing the the corner cam gave it a different, a unique feel. Okay. But, yeah, Michaelis came down and seemed like Orton was, I felt like Orton was selling Michaelis' return pretty well, too. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, because he definitely, like, so we we didn't quite say, like, Orton was going to go get Triple H, whatever, so he's halfway up the ramp when uh, Michaels comes out, and he gets chased back to the ring, and he's really selling kind of the fear, and then eventually when he gets hit by just a really good-looking super kick, uh, him, well, really the the three big players, which would be Michaels, Orton, and McMahon, all, all sold this well, and you know, McMahon again, kind of looking like he's going to tear up down on the floor. Look, looked really good as well. Well, I've, you know, you mentioned the super kick that Orton received. I felt like Orton stole it pretty good. On yeah, approached, yeah, got hit by it, then approached, turned and went face went face first, yeah. you know, into the mat. And I felt like that was an <coughs> awesome solid job by Orton. Right. Uh huh. Uh huh. I, I would felt, agree. And I felt like, like the, I felt like that Michaels was super hot. Back in 2007, I feel like if done right, wrestlers' returns can have a great payoff. Oh, returns should be everything. And I mean, like, they can be everything. Um, You know, that's why taking people off TV and giving them a break is so important. Because everybody, if done right, can have this type of return. (coughs) You know, and we've seen it with many different wrestlers that they can come back with 10 times more crowd energy behind them than when they left. So, so yeah, it's yeah. Very, very important to, yeah, like you said, to see wrestlers gone for a while to give them a break and give the fans a break from them. Right, and I mean, like, that's one of the things where Right now, with one of the things that they they haven't done really in his whole career, which is purposely take Cena off TV for a while, which is and, which thankfully they're doing right, exactly. And you know, finally they're doing it. I I would almost guarantee that when he comes back toward the end of the year or whatever, December January, he will be much more. Um popular in the in the fans minds than yeah. if they were just kind of like they tried to just kind of move him down the card but that doesn't always work because you're still there yeah and you know with you know orton not orton well, orton and rollins both going down with injuries within the last few weeks and Cena taking time off tv i feel like this gives wwe the chance to push roman reigns as their number one face mm-hmm. uh, and w in the fans in ways i guess it accepting it yeah right yeah and that's one of those things where like when you just try the pulling them down the card thing it doesn't work as well because they cast such a large shadow and when you like um it's it's reminiscent of cm punk's title reign where he didn't main event a show Right. Like if you're (laughs) if you're trying to say that this person is most important because they're in the title picture, but they either aren't main eventing or they aren't. They're they're still kind of living in the shadow of these former big stars. It doesn't really matter. 
And uh, that's why that's another reason why pulling people off TV is important. You know, we'll talk about CM Punk. That kind of ties in a little bit with our next match. That when CM Punk was World Heavyweight Champion in 2008, he was yeah, the World Heavyweight Champion. In remember his SummerSlam 2008 match was defending the title against JBL, and most people don't didn't care about about that match and. Most people think, yeah, I don't hey, remember this at all, by the way, so I guess I would shock me up as one of them. The only reason why I remember <laughs> it is because, obviously, at Unforgiven, Chris Jericho won the World Heavyweight title in a World Heavyweight title scramble match that he wasn't supposed to be in because Orton punted Punk in the backstage area, and Raw General Manager Mike Adamley th- had to throw, wanted to throw somebody else in for into CM Punk's place, and it was Chris Jericho, which leads us into, I guess, a match for Shawn Michaels for this podcast. Yep, right on. So from October of 2008, it is Shawn Michaels against Batista. And this was two weeks before Cyber Sunday, where Batista was challenging Chris Jericho for the World Heavyweight title, and mm-hmm. for this edition of Raw, I think it was October 13th, but somewhere in October that, yeah, uh, Mike Adamley gave both Batista and Chris Jericho the uh, uh, choices to have to pick their their summer Sunday opponents opponent for the for that night, and but then uh, Jericho picked Shawn Michaels for this, and right before the bell rang, Jericho came up on screen and said that he's also making this a lumberjack match. Mm-hmm. And I guess like I don't know, this might be an off night, but. I don't know if the slow talking big word Jericho holds up very well. You know, like looking at it uh, almost a decade later, I'm like, I don't know if this looks as good as it used to. It was something different, but he beat it to the ground. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it looks as good. I guess I, I haven't went back recently to watch some of this, some of that time either. I guess I wasn't, it didn't bother me watching it, but. Then again, I'm also a big Jericho fan, so I'm a bit right. more biased towards him than you or anybody else. Yeah, I yeah, I just don't know if it holds up super well. I'd have to see a lot more of it though. And I do remember the you know, the big promo where he kinda turns heel and he, you know, kicks Michaels and kicks his wife or whatever <laughs> as being really good. Uh if that's how it went. Well I don't yeah, know. well it was Jericho <laughs> had Michaels and uh Highlight reel real, yeah. segment threw him through the jury. Threw him into the screen, yeah. 5,000, and at SummerSlam that year, SummerSlam 2008, Michaels was supposedly going to retire, but Michael uh, Jericho inter- interrupted and was going to deck Michaels in the face, but Michaels d- docked. Oh, yeah. That's when, when Jericho hit Rebecca, Michaels' wife, right in the face. <laughs> that's right. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, now I remember. <laughs> So all the so all the lumberjacks come out and man, this is really uh this is really a who's who of two thousand eight raw superstars. Wolf, Bam Neely, uh, all the when Legacy got super bloated and we got freaking Sim Snuka and Manu is there. Oh man, the, the you know. When people talk about when there shouldn't be a brand extension, this, this is maybe down. what we point at. Yeah, when we look at, like, Bam Neely, man. Bam Neely's a Minnesota guy, so I feel like we should maybe, like, <laughs> get behind him. But, man, not good. 
I know talk you know, right around when the lumberjacks came out, Lawler mentioned that he might talk in tech speak because of Cyber Sunday. And I wrote in my notes, Lawler, please no. Oh my gosh, they sounded so old when <laughs> Lawler was like, OMG. And then he's like, well, maybe I'll say LOL. And then Cole's like, oh, are you laughing out loud? Oh, man. So <laughs> I was like, oh, God, these guys just aged 40 years in our <laughs> before our very eyes. <laughs> they came across so bad and yeah. old. Because like you said, they sounded super old. And even, you know, you know, Mama D, she's 60 and, you know, well, she doesn't, you know, ta- you know, she doesn't talk like LOL, OMG, <laughs> IDK, but you know, but you know, if let's say I or my one of my brothers would text her or something like that, she automatically knows what what we're talking about. But it, I feel like Lawler and Cole seem a lot older than you know in 2008 than what Mamba D does now in 2015. I would agree. I would agree. And Lawler. Continuously from 08 to now, well, even way before 08, but he's like reminds everybody that he is old and out of touch. He <laughs> has so does not seem like he is tied into anything pop culture, the current product, whatever. He comes, he always comes across so bad. So, once the lumberjacks came out, we go to commercial break and come back, the match was ready underway. Yep, uh huh, uh huh, and as. Michaels is the first one knocked to the outside, and he hits Sim Snuka, and that made me happy. Like, before anyone could get to him, he punches Deuce, drop a Deuce, <laughs> right there, and and then just gets back in the ring. And I just kind of, like, give Michaels uh, some, some credit on that one. It made me happy. <laughs> yeah, during this time that Michaels slapped on a figure four on a Batista, and the announcers <laughs> put over that. The start of their feud happened at WrestleMania 24 where Shawn Michaels retired Ric Flair. Right. Uh huh. Yep. That was the whole beginning, was when um, Batista kind of started a, qu- a quasi heel turn, healed on uh, Michaels about him retiring uh, Flair. Yep. And to me, I enjoyed you know, during <clears throat> this match to that the announcers called back to that, even though. I even though I knew that's where it started because you know that also was where Sham or Chris Jericho kind of got tied in with this feud and where the the famous Jericho Michaels Oit feud came out of, mm-hmm. but not everybody knows that. So it was nice to hear the announcers call back to that. Sure. And yeah. I guess you know, I mentioned the figure four spot. There's another spot I. I wrote down was I think when Patissa put Michaels in the rear cheek, rear naked choke or some kind of chin lock grapevine thing. It, oh yeah, he worked at body scissors for yeah, a long time. It, yep. I guess I want to bring that up because I felt I felt like th- these two guys didn't really have that great of a match for this match. Oh, okay. And I felt like there was a lot of rust holds. Okay, well here's why. If I can if I can speak for them. It's because it's a face-face match. Fair uh, enough, yeah. How are you going to you can't have really a a beat down spot, so either you're gonna have something that's very back and forth, which is how we start, um, or you're gonna have something where you don't have a lot of you know kind of pounding out from one guy to another because you don't really want to heal them. So that's what we get, 
And I thought he did a good job on that body scissors, but yeah, well, so it's not my favorite match ever. But yeah, yeah. yeah I guess it's just not my favorite match out of these two and and all that. Mm-hmm. I guess just I feel like some of the rust holds got too much at times. Okay. Let's see. Then I guess I, I didn't before that though. Michaels hit a hit a good swinging neck breaker, and Batista even hit a running power slam. So. Yeah, I guess so, some of the moves like the power slam and spine buster that we'll see later on from Batista, some of those power moves, Batista lo- made them look pretty damn good. Right, and when, you know, after this uh, kind of longer body scissors and back working segment, we get a, a lariat from Batista, a nice tilt-the-world side slam. So, yeah, HBK skinned the cat so he wouldn't go outside. Uh, and as he comes back in, Batista immediately grabs him, throws him into a tilt-a-roll side slam. That looked really cool. Yeah, which always looks good. Then Michaels did go outside, and Mark Henry pushed the other lumberjacks out of the way just for he can lock on a nasty-looking bear hug. Yeah, this is my, my, my favorite spot in the match because Bam Neely tries to grab him, but Bam Neely sucks, and Mark Henry knows it. <laughs> so he pushes aside this idiot, and he goes, Get away. Let me do, let me work because I actually know what I'm doing. So it's awesome. He just throws Bam Neely out of the way. And I don't think this is character. I think this is just Mark Henry knowing that Bam Neely sucks. So he throws him out of the way and grabs him and hooks in the bear hug. And it looked really cool. Yeah, which, uh, and then when Michaels went into the ring, Batista put on his own bear hug. I felt mm-hmm. like Mark Henry's bear hug looked more devastating than Batista's. This is Mark Henry is 200 pounds more than Batista. Fair enough. But I would agree with you. <laughs> I guess just seeing Mark Henry kind of jerk Michaels back and forth in the bear hug compared to Batista just hugging him and yeah. holding him there and caressing Michaels and all that. And I, this would – oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just, I just want to mention, yeah, the two different kind of styles of bear hugs and why I enjoyed Batista or uh, Mark Henry's bear hug over Batista's. And this would kind of be why maybe if you have – an awesome giant fat power wrestler, you probably shouldn't do the exact same move. Maybe yeah. you should think of some other back. I mean, you should work a backbreaker or, you know, do, I mean, not a surfboard, but neon is put a knee on his back and work a camel clutch or something like that instead of doing the exact same thing, which, like you said, you're just not going to do a better job at that than Mark Henry is. So it, you probably just shouldn't do it at that point if you're Batista. Yeah, then I don't right. know another time when Batista was outside, Orton tried to punt him but missed. Right, uh-huh, yep. Orton looked weird because he was, like, the only person who wasn't wearing his ring gear. Yeah. I, I, just, I thought that was just the, one of those kind of, like, little fashion points that, that you like to point out. I'll point mine out sometimes, yeah, too. It, it, it was weird seeing Orton wearing weird. jeans. Yeah, it looked weird when he was when everyone else was in ring gear and he was in in his jeans. So that was kind of strange. You know, what's your thoughts on the Regal distracting the referee and Chibiel shoving Michaels off the top rope under the? That was mat? cool. That was cool. That was a cool kind of turning point in the match, leading us to the finish. I liked it. I I always enjoy seeing William Regal and Chibiel on my TV screen. <laughs> right, and I I liked that. You know, we got to kind of see what heels are the most important because Henry gets a the the bear hug spot and he'll get a bigger spot later. Um Regal got the distraction spot. 
Um, you know, JBL gets the the push off the top rope spot. So like these are the guys who like mean something right now. And we also saw a little Orton do a little bit, try to do a little bit of something too. So yeah, yep. you can throw mm-hmm. Orton in as one of the top heels. Right. Uh huh. Then I, I already mentioned the Batista spinebuster spot. Mm-hmm. But what's your thoughts on Batista spinebuster? It always looks good. Yep. He that's one thing he does really well. In my opinion, anyways, I don't think think it's really fair to compare his spinebuster to Arn Anderson's spinebuster. But I felt like Batista's spinebuster was, I guess, the modern equivalent to Arn Anderson's spinebuster. Sure, it's both their both their kind of signature. Well, uh, some of their signature moves, yeah. Yeah. So I know only other note I have is for the finish. So if you want to take over the finish, um, if you don't have, yeah, any I don't have any, No, I don't have anything till then. Okay, you can uh, go for it if you want. Batista went for a, a Batista bomb, but Michael's, Michaels countered it with uh, Frankensteiner to the outside, and the Lumberjacks uh, attacked both men, and the referee couldn't, couldn't control all all this mayhem, so he called for the bell. Yep, and we get a double disqualification. I read this well, before we do the rating. Uh, Batista and Michaels didn't jump back to the rating. The Lumberjacks followed them, and... Michaels and Batista were able to take out each lumberjack punch one by one. Well, kind of. Kind of. What happens is that J or uh, so Michaels goes to kick Batista, but Batista moves and he super kicks JBL. Then Batista's going to spear Michaels, but Michaels moves and he spears Mark Henry. Then so I- it goes. It goes to the fact that they're still trying to hit each other. They didn't just immediately team up. Then then Mike killed the referee, told both competitors that he called off the match, and they seemed okay with it, like whatever. (laughs) Then Batista put out his hand, and Michael shook it. After a long kind of feeling out process, yes. I ready this match, two stars. Yeah, I went two and a half. Because like I mentioned earlier, I feel like the rest holds... And the double disqualification kind of hurt the match for me. Sure, I understand. So the next letter is the letter N, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yeah. For Nick was, Nemeth. Did I say yeah, his name N, right? Yeah, Nick Nemeth. Yeah, N was, N was really hard. Uh, as you can see that I had to go to a name of a, of a guy who he used it for... You know, a year. Because yeah, <laughs> when, when I was you know, getting things ready for, you know, for this outline, and like Nick Nemeth, who the hell is that? Yeah. And then I open up the open up the clip for the promo match. Like, wait, Dolph Ziggler? Yeah, Dolph Ziggler, rookie Dolph Ziggler. Yes. So I guess, what is the first thought or thoughts you think of when you when you think of Dolph Ziggler? Well, if I think Nick Nemeth, I think. Uh, Alternately, either Spirit Squad or Kent State, which is where he wrestled. I guess Nick Nemeth, if we're going off of that name, I have no thoughts because I didn't know who, I didn't know that name up to doing this podcast. Okay, well, if you had to do Ziggler, then who are you? No Ziggler, I guess. Super kicks. Okay. Work, working super fast. Show okay. off. Okay. Rock on, rock on, yeah. So. Sounds good. I, uh, to be honest, to at the start, I wasn't that impressed with this promo, and I wasn't that impressed <laughs> with this match. <laughs> and just like when Z- when uh, Nemeth was trying to say something that he was prepared for this match, 
Paul Burchill walked in and cut a promo. Yeah, who's off. interviewing him back there? Where are we even? We are at OVW. Yes, we are. We are in OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, the old developmental territory. Yeah, he's backstage. Who's interviewing him? Maria. Yes. Oh, beautiful Maria. Yeah, okay. So you got to mention that. Yeah, so she's trying to ask him what he's going to do in this TV title tournament. And he's talking that he's a rookie, but he's he's still going to you know make some noise. And yeah, like you said, now uh, Paul Burchill uh, interrupted him here. I didn't take anything what Burchill said. Uh, he just he said that he was a big deal in England, <laughs> which was funny, uh, and that he's yeah he's gonna take out he's gonna take out Nemeth here because Nemeth admitted you know that he was a rookie and that um, he's gonna use his amateur wrestling to to beat him. So then yeah Nemeth, I think partially because the the haircut that he had for this for this night he looked nothing like Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, how do you even describe that? I don't know what that's called. To me, it kind of reminds me of a army buzz cut kind of thing. Okay, yeah, because it's, it's like that one, and I'm sure everybody's seen it, where it's like, kind of like, like big, almost bald in the middle, but then there's like a ridge of hair in the front and the sides. Kind of like the big boss man's haircut, but that he had, bit. When he had when he, that he had in the WWF probably in the early 90s, but a lot shorter. Yeah, a bit. Or if you remember Luther Reigns' haircut, uh, it looks more, like that. Yeah, like more Luther Reigns because you know, it's that sh- much shorter than what the mm-hmm. boss man had in the early 90s. Right, yeah. So, so yeah, so we, this leads right into the match. This is all one clip. Um, the match being Paul Burchill versus Nick Nemeth in the Ohio Valley TV title tournament. Uh, I wanted to ask, do you know who the announcers were? Yeah, we got Dean Hill. And Kenny Bolin. Oh, uh, and it's Star Maker. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your guy, because you won't listen to the podcast. No, I don't listen to Kenny Bolin's podcast. I listen to Jim Cornette's podcast, and once in a while, Kenny Star Maker Bolin does come on. Yes. Yeah. That's the big star, you know, for that. I guess I didn't recognize who they were. It's something that I really. So something that bothered me was hearing them, the announcers on the house mic. Sure, fair enough. Yeah, that that was definitely different. Uh, definitely a different thing. And Dean Hill is also the the ring announcer uh, at the same time. It, to, to me, it was just <clears throat> difficult because they have very similar voices. And yeah. the only way you could really tell them apart was was that Kenny Bowen's playing a heel. So like if <laughs> so I'd just be thinking that it was Dean Hill, but then he'd say something about, you know, Nick Nemeth being disrespectful or something, like, oh okay, okay, that was Kenny Bowen. So it's almost it was like kind of messing with my head a little bit. Okay, well you were giving me crap for knowing Kenny Bowen through Jim Cornette's podcast. Do you yeah. know much about Kenny Bowen? No, not really. Just that he was he was a big um heel manager in, in OVW because, you know, he's from the area or whatever and he's Cornette's buddy. Just like the two big managers. And, we, you know, we give – lots of people give Cornette credit like how awesome he is. The two big heel managers were Cornette's buddy, Bolin, and his future wife. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a little bit of nepotism there for the for the heel managers. But, yeah, so he Bol, – Kenny Bolin, he ran a stable called Bolin Services, which um, was always – the 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 big the big heel stable which i guess makes sense because the in a developmental territory i'll give credit 
Kornak, huge credit on this. In the developmental territory, you're going to have guys leaving all the time. Oh. So, like, basing it around a manager is a smart idea. Kinda so, like, having, having Bull in there. It's kind of like what WWF did with Heenan and the First Family. Yes, like, exactly. Family or Jimmy Hart and the First Family in Memphis and all that. Yep, yep exactly. You said the, the other announcer was Dan Hill? Uh, Dean. Yep. Dean Hill? What, yep. what, what do you know about him? I've oh I've learned about him through other things through uh, I guess through podcasts and through news and stuff. Apparently he's just a longtime worker there. He's also apparently like a, a cop or almost I think I've even heard he's like a detective or something in Louisville. So so yeah he's and he got involved would get involved in in angles every every once in a while. Um, you know, like the really big ones, but yeah, yeah, he's just, he's just very, just like the straight man, that kind of thing. Okay. Then like I kind of mentioned before, I really didn't take much notes for this match because I felt like I was having a tough time watching this match with, with how, I guess I was having a tough time watching this match because I wasn't really that impressed with either guy. Okay. With how green they were. Okay. But that's just my opinion, though. Okay, I don't. I didn't think they looked too bad. I guess it may, it may have been also a mixture of, I'm sure, personally, a lot of me being tired and cranky and hearing the announcers over the house mic, yeah, and I that kind of rubbing me off the wrong way. Yeah, and, and you, uh, see the, you see the Davis Arena, you see the young guys, and you go, "They're green. I don't like them." Yeah, I don't like the new guys. I just want to see my polished veterans. I think that's pretty much exactly what happened. I think we figured it out. So yes, you got me, Mister Beverly Hills. I thought Burchill, he uh, he he looks a little different from when he was on um, TV on WWF TV. He's a lot thicker than he was when he was on WWF TV. Um, but he's definitely still he is a guy who's a veteran. He's he was pretty polished at this point. Uh, Nemeth was definitely early in his career, but the stuff that he did, a lot of the groundwork that he did, a lot of the arm work looked good yeah. when he hit an arm drag. Well, and he, stuff, stuff like that looked good. Just some of the aerial moves that, that Nemeth mm-hmm. tried to pull off didn't look so good. Okay, yeah, he did hit a flying crossbody, and it kind of left some things to be desired for sure. Um, Burchill had a really nice-looking... Uh, Neckbreaker while Namath was trying to get into the ring because kind of the story of the match was that uh, Burchill was trying to use his you know relative veteranship to gain the advantage. He would go outside a lot. He would throw Namath outside so he could kind of gain the advantage. And like I said, the one he he went outside, then he came back in, and as Namath was coming in, he he neckbreaked him on the in the middle of the ropes, which was really cool. Well, I was gonna say I I, mean, I took that that note down for that for that move and I, the way I described it was ouch because yeah. there was there, you know to me there isn't much give to the ropes compared to doing a move like that to mm-hmm. you know inside the ring or whatever else I thought that doing it on top of the middle rope or whatever rope it was made it look made that move seem more impactful it seemed like it yeah. hurt that much more I would agree. It did add it, it did add an impact to it. It looked <clears throat> it looked good. Um, Nemeth did, you know, he is really early in his career. He did kind of mess up a a Northern Lights suplex, but ended up hitting it and uh, got a roll up 
but just got two counts on him. Uh, Birchland tried for a moonsault, but missed. And this is where things kind of broke down, got pretty sloppy. Um, Nemeth did hit a tornado DDT. Uh, out of that, I don't even know what they were trying for. It just kind of was like they're moving around, they're hitting each other, and then all of a sudden a tornado DDT comes out of it. Wow. <laughs> and uh, then Nemeth goes up, hits a reverse cross body, but Virtual rolled through, uh, hooked the tights, and got the three. So the so. winner is Paul Birchall. And this match was a dud for me because. Oh, I went. Yo, go ahead. Well, just because. Like I said, I going into it, you know, the the promo wasn't that impressive to me. The audio wasn't that great, which I really can't complain too much about that. The great the audio. I, the the announcers on the house mic that just rode me off the wrong way, and we all know how much I enjoy the fan interaction and the fans make they were sitting on their hands most of the match. For a little bit, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't wait till you rate the fan interaction on the next match then, because they were out of control for so it. So, what do you rate? What do you rate this match, Mister? A star and a half. I, I rated this match. Why a star and a half? Because I thought the good points, the 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 arm work by Nemeth was good. Um, the neck breaker through the ropes was good, uh, and I thought the good. I don't, you don't even have to say the good outweigh the bad because I'm still only rating it a star and a half. <laughs> it's, it has enough good things to get it to that point. I like that. So the next letter we get is the letter O as in Cowboy Bob Orton. Yes. Uh-huh. And this is the one where I was talking at the beginning of the show where we, t- or I said we really got kind of kind of done in by YouTube here a little bit. Because there's so, Bob Orton has such a long career, you know, working in Mid Atlantic, working in the in the Midwest, the Kansas City territory, the St. Louis territory, working in, in WWF, and we get stuff from the UWF and the AWF from 1991 to 1995, and I'm like, oh come on, like this is a joke, like the very last days of his career. Yeah. But before we get into that, what's your initial thoughts on Cowboy Bob Orton? Uh the Ace yeah. from when he was in in WWF. Okay, you know, since he mentioned Ace, I had to say his gimmick cast on his arm. Yep. Oh yeah. Right on, right on. That is definitely it. That's what I should have said. It was. De- it's definitely the cast. So for the promo that we get, Bob Orton is with his manager, John Tolos? Yep, the coach. Okay. <laughs> Do you know anything about the coach? Yeah, he was a longtime uh, West Coast wrestler, and then he came into WWF as the coach. Okay, as- well, so I was just going to ask if this was the, the coach that, that uh, mm-hmm. managed Mr. Perfect. Yes, it is. Yep. Yep, and then he's segued into the UWF here after that. Okay, then I just felt like that both John Tolos and Orton did a lot of yelling in this promo <laughs> and called his opponent a chicken. Yeah, yeah, co- coach calls Brian Blair, Blair a chicken. Um, <laughs> there, there were some really good lines, though, because <laughs> Cowboy Orton talks about he doesn't say who this is, now, later I learned that this is Captain Lou, Captain Lou Albano, but 
he calls it, he's like, the ugliest, fattest, most sausage-looking man I've ever seen comes out. And then I was like, okay, okay, who is the ugliest, fattest, most sausage-looking man? And then Tolos also, like, doesn't say it for a long time. He's like, who does this big, fat guy think he is with these rubber bands hanging off of his face? I'm like, okay, all right, now I know who it is. Captain and then Wu, finally, Captain Wu, Alabama. Yeah, and then, and then finally he's like, I was like, okay, I get it, I get it. So yeah, they're cutting a promo on Brian Blair and Captain Lou Albano, uh, and then he calls him a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, if the kitchen's too hot, get the hell out! <laughs> <laughs> so the match that we get is Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. taking on Trevor Blanchard from the American Wrestling Federation. Yep. And obviously this isn't the... American Wrestling Federation that's up here in Minnesota nowadays. Do you know anything about this AWF? This is just something that was started. Who I don't know who started. Paul Alberstein, I think, is the name of the guy. But, um, yeah, it's it's coming out of that that time period, the early '90s, where uh, people were trying to fill the the territorial kind of void with you know with these various kind of upstart um upstart federations and uh you know this is what we get okay then trevor blanchard is that tully blanchard's uh sibling or oh god no. or something this is someone just i think it's someone just using that name okay yeah then, this is just a guy this is a long time jobber i'm looking at his wrestling database here a lot of saturday night wcw saturday night stuff uh yeah okay then i think yeah the announcer mentioned this this was a three-round match do you know anything about the round system in the awf right on i should have said this yeah um yeah the the thing about the awf is that they a lot they had a lot of old farts Okay, they got Tito Santana, they got Bob Orton, they got Greg Valentine, they have um, Mr. Hughes, Sergeant Slaughter, Coco Beware. So I remember watching this back in the day. And Coco Beware? Yeah, you got it. (laughs) So they're out of shape. uh, And these these are the guys that are supposed to be the main eventers. So they kind of devised this system. And now this is something that's used over in Europe, you know, for many, many years. But they kind of took it and they're like, well, we can use this to give these guys breaks. So they have three-minute rounds. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay, because I know they just mentioned this three-round match or three-round fall or whatever. And I think it didn't go into it. So I'm like, okay, obviously, you know, this is well into, you know, into the promotion. And the fans really know what this three-rounds match was all about. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Then the announcers are Mick Karsh. Yep, Mick Karch. And Terry Taylor. Who is this Mick Karsh guy? Mick Karch is a, was a longtime AWA announcer. Okay. Uh, and you can see they, they kind of took guys from the from the AWA on the uh, kind of outside end because Ken Resnick is the backstage interviewer and he was a longtime AWA uh, guy as well. Okay, then so. I just wanted to... I want to ask about that. Everybody, everybody already knows who Terry Taylor is. Yep. Yep. And we'll see him later. <laughs> yes. 
sadly. But there was, yeah, one one note I I took note about, which I guess feeds into my stereotypical dirty dog style is this arena was very well lit and I enjoyed it. No. No, the the fans were like in the dark. The rain was the rain. Well okay, the rain was rain well I'll agree with you. I was like, the what? If listeners, yeah, 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 yeah. Listeners, if you, if this was a video cast, a vodcast, you guys would would have laughed out of seeing Mister Beverly Hills's facial expression right when I said that. It was hilarious. Right, because I was very wondering, very confused. Well, so here's my question. Yes. What'd you think about the fan interaction here? You're all about the fan interaction. They were super into it. <laughs> to be honest, it really got me into the match. Really? Kind of, yeah. It, it, this was the most piped-in crowd I've ever heard. You didn't recognize that this was piped in? We'll, this this isn't the only match that we'll talk about that with piped-in piped in stuff. But Alex, I, I don't know if it was because of the piped-in stuff. I don't know if it was because of... It being short, this I I had an easier time being connected to this match than other matches we've seen. Oh man, yeah, because like you, if you look at the crowd, no one's saying anything, and you're just here, ah, ah, boo, boo, and I'm like, <laughs> what? And then they then they like show this cut scene of like five fans going crazy, and it's clear that it's not from the same decade. Uh, and then they go back, and I think it's hilarious that you bought this. Uh, that's what, disappointing to me. Whatever, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yep. So Bob came out to a pretty cool ripoff of, of Wanted Dead or Alive, and uh, this is the first instance of a, just a shit ton of piped-in booze here. Uh, and then all of a sudden, yeah, pretty much. Then all of a sudden, Bob or, uh, Oliver Humberdink is there. <laughs> Because, like, they announced they're, like, his with his manager, Oliver Humperdinck, and he doesn't come out. And then the match starts, and there he is. I'm like, oh, okay. Think right. talk about, Oliver Humperdinck here. Talk about Oliver Humperdinck. Wasn't he a lot heavier before this? Yeah, man. He looked super thin here. I noticed that, too. He was he was looking in really good shape, for okay. sure. Because the only other time that I can remember seeing Oliver Humperdinck was when he was managing Bam Bam Bigelow in WWF. Yeah. I think in 87, I thought I saw Oliver Umperdink. I want to say with Bam Bam again in Jim Crockett promotions, but I'm not too okay. cer- certain about that. And They may have hooked up again, yeah. But at least in the 87-88 WWF with Bam Bam, I remember Oliver Umperdink looked a lot like an egg. <laughs> and just how big he was. And just seeing him here, like, what the heck? Is that the same Oliver Humperdink from before? Like, he looks super thin and all that like well good yeah. for him for losing all that weight because he surely needed it yeah the announcers do compare him to many things though they compare him to a troll doll <laughs> they compare oh shoot now i forget what the first thing they compare him well, to talk about a troll with his facial hair it kind of looks like one yeah right on no i agree that that was it was pretty accurate and then even when Orton wins, they're like, there he is with that troll over Humperdinck. Well, with the, you know, like the ghost. Gargoyle! That's what they call him for, that, a gargoyle. Well, just his face and, like, the reddish, grayish beard that he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looks like a troll, trollish gay goyle. <laughs> yeah, but so this was, this was a very nothing match. This is a total squash. We got um, some amateur wrestling early, but then... 
Uh, Orton takes over with some eye rakes, knee drops, uh, a big hot shot, and then uh, he hit the pile driver, which was his longtime finisher, um, and that's for the three. Yeah, Bob Orton Jr. is the winner, and I ready this match a dud. Like you said, it was a squash match. Yeah, this is a dud. This is definitely a dud. And I put in, I love how the fans boo up Orton after the match. I'm sure it was the piped-in stuff. It, and it sounded like a machine. It sounded like someone was hitting like the keyboard, like boo 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 boo. Then we see some replays, and we go backstage with Oliver Humperdinck, and he changed shirts from the match to the promo, and the announcer even mentioned that. Yeah, because he's hot, he said. So I can, I felt like, you know, definitely this was definitely a, a pre-taped you know, yeah. from completely different time. You know, yeah, the match in this promo was two different times, and I felt like Oliver Humperdinck did a good job covering that up. Yeah, I mean, th- th- those are little things. Like, that would be someone being like, oh, he's wearing a different shirt. You know, he's not even wearing the same shirt he was wearing. So, you know, make point of it, whatever, instead of trying to hide it bring it forward. And Oliver wants all the marbles, uh, he says, and he's bringing out the crown jewel of the House of Humberdink, which is Cowboy Bob Orton. Um, and I thought this was a lot better promo than the UWF one. Orton says that it's all about the know-how, skill, and knowing how to bend the rules without breaking them, which I thought was cool. And Yeah, I feel like he did a halfway decent job Doing that, doing that in the match that we just that we just reviewed. Yes, I would agree. So, the last letter for the podcast, Mister Beverly Hills, for this edition right of A through or YouTube A through Z. Yes, the letter P, not for podcast, <laughs> but for Ken Patera. Yes, Ken Patera, the world's strongest human. And when, <laughs> That's what baby Gary Michael Capena calls him later. And when I saw it was Ken Patera, I was so unenthused about it until I watched the two-part promo. That, yes! And all, and all that, and I was super excited. But before we talk about the promo in the match, Mr. Beverly Hills, what is your initial thoughts on Ken Patera? I mean, sadly for him, probably the first thing I think of is McDonald's. Yeah. You know, taking out McDonald's since you mentioned that, I think of former Intercontinental Champion. He was the Intercontinental Champion? I thought so. Oh, cool. Good for him. I, I, may, be, I may be wrong, but I don't know. At least that's why I think of, but... I know. think McDonald's Window Destroyer. Fair enough. <laughs> so... Just, just to uh, look, I am uh, googling up Ken Patera just to see. I am too. Mm. Yeah, in nineteen eighty, he held okay. the Intercontinental Championship. Was he WWF champion too? No, no. Okay, no. okay I guess I was right then on him being a former Intercontinental Champion gorilla. <laughs> you got it, bro. Uh, then, so we might as well talk about the promo. That is a two-part promo, and I am happy. I clicked on the second part because, you know, got, Me too. got the outline. I'm like, okay, Mr. Beverly Hill just added in the first part. I'm like, first part, what yeah. the heck? Why not watch the second part? And I loved watching the second <laughs> part to watch the whole promo. So this was in Jim, this promo happened in Jim Crockett Promotions. Yes. 
And Tony Atlas. Yeah, mid, yeah mid, at this point, we're calling it Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, yeah. Okay. Then I know yep. Tony, Tony, Tony Atlas wants to have a match with Ken Patera, but Ken Patera wants, wants Tony Atlas to jump through some hoops before they have a match. Yes, uh-huh. Well, he's got, yeah, and he's got to show, he claims he's strong. He's got to show that he's really strong because Patera was just on the World's Strongest Man competition on CBS, and he was pulling a bus and all that stuff. So he's, you know, if Tony Ellis says he's strong, he's got to prove it. And because of this promo this promo and this match, I have to open up my mellow yell, Mr. Beverly Hills. All right, do it. Because Cam Pantera, like I mentioned, blew, blew away whatever expectations I had with this promo. That he showed a lot more character than I ever imagined him having. I gotta say, the yeah, no, I'd agree with you first off, but he also says that Ken Patera is like Coca-Cola. He's everywhere. <laughs> well, it's <clears throat> Little Yellow is part of the Coca-Cola family. <laughs> Got it, yep, yep. So a good tie-in, but yeah, like uh, like I said, Ken uh, Patera has been showing off his strength and wants Tony Ellis to show his strength in the promo that Patera said that, you know, he's a, well, he's like a weight, oh, uh, that uh, the, the, him and Atlas are two different kind of guys. That Tony, or that Atlas is more of the, like the body guy, wanting his yes. body look beautiful, and Pantera is <laughs> actually strong. He wanted yep. Atlas, Atlas to prove him wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's got a series of feats of strength set up. So you wanted? I'm, I'm sure you got him listed. You can go for it. Uh, the first one is Pantera uh, had a spike in his hand and put it, or the spike nail, put it through a board. Yep. Yep, and, and Tony was also able to do that. And Tony seemed like he kind of had a little bit of a difficult time at first and put it through. Oh, he was just kind of, I, yeah, it looked like he was just kind of like sizing it up. Yeah. But then when he finally lifted his hand up, he did put it right through. Then Patera challenged him to blow up a balloon that he did a few weeks prior on. Oh, hot water bottle, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, what, what not on Men Like TV. And, and uh, Atlas popped it and danced. Yeah, his dance was really funny. <laughs> it was a very Big E-esque dance. Yes. So for modern wrestling fans, if you know how Big E dances, that's kind of how Tony Ellis was dancing. Tony Ellis was also a lumberjack in the lumberjack yeah. match. You know, talk about the Batista match, you know, the Batista-Michaels match, to, you know, Tony Ellis to now. Tony Ellis, holy crap, he looked different. Yeah, right. Yep, for sure. Well, he he kind of lost that bodybuilder physique around the late eighties. Oh. Uh, I mean, really, since like nineteen ninety one, nineteen eighty two, he's looked like this. And also, Tony Atlas was the main baby face in the AWF. Him and Coco Beware. Ooh, so, if we would have seen that, yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Then the next next uh, feat of strength that Ken Pinter wanted Tony Atlas to do was bend a stainless steel bolt. Yep, uh-huh. That Patera did that within a few seconds. Then Atlas did it, and so like he, you know, it took it, him a little bit longer to do it, yep. which I you know was, I'm sure, just for TV, you know, do it, you know, having troubles just for TV and all that. And when he did it, fans yeah. pop. Yeah, maybe, but this stuff looked legit. Like, for as, I, I don't know, for as legit as it could be, I don't know. I'm not sure if it was fake or gimmicked or not, but it looked real. Yeah, at, at least it seemed like they were... Yeah, kind of doing it. You know, Atlas was like having a little bit of troubles. Just on, I assume for TV wise and all that. Right now, then we do the, after the bolt. Then we have the final one, which is for or with a construction bar. 
Yeah. Like a steel bar and all that. And they, it's like they bent it, what, over their shoulder or no? I To be honest, I fast-forwarded to the end of part two. I watched all of part one and okay. then I fast-forwarded. I was going to ask you, did they bend it over? Because I've seen people bend it over their head. I've seen people bend it in their hands. Okay, because I don't, I, don't, I don't know what they did. I, I guess I can't remember what they did because I know I remember when Ken Portera grabbed it, he kind of put it over his shoulders and all that and brought it out. And well, I can't remember offhand. Either way, both guys were able to to bend it. Then Alex said that he wants a shot against Portera's title. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then what, they kind of. Well, so, do you know what title Pantera had at that time? I'm thinking this is just the middle and a heavyweight title. Okay. Did they get? A, they got into it at the end, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because I saw Pantera reeling, and he was kind of in the production area. <laughs> and if you want to talk fans, this was funny because like it was it was a studio studio wrestling, so we we had just kind of a a, a small crowd here, but. I love these small crowds because you can hear, like, individual people. So you hear people being like, come on, Patera, you can, you, I don't think you can do it. And then when Tony's doing it, you hear people be like, yeah, go Tony. <laughs> so it was, that was cool. Yeah, and I, I enjoy stuff like that because I feel like, you know, when, when we covered Rick Flair last week, that's sure. the same, same thing with the Flair promo that we covered. Right. Uh-huh. So the match that we get is Kent Portera taking on, I could be wrong on this name, Juan Lopez? Yep, Juan Lopez. Juan Lopez. I put Juan Lopez, like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I thought I heard Vince. Like, like one? Yeah, like number, number one, one Lopez? Okay. And then Vince is our only commentator for this match, and then Vince did yes. say Juan Lopez. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so this so this match happened from WWF Championship Wrestling from October 1st, 1977. Yeah, so this is early. And oh, and that, that that promo, that Feats of Strength was from 78. Okay. Oh, I think oh so just a year after this. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Because yeah. I was going to say that Pantera looks completely different from that promo to this match since Pantera's were in a, like a neon green wrestling singlet, but also had long... Blonde hair, kind of like Ric Flair. Yeah, big curly, curly, curly hair, and it was brown in the yeah in the promo, in the yeah. Mid Atlantic one, yeah. And I know I was, I guess, kind of complaining about, or I was saying last week with the Rocky Johnson Piper match with Gorillas or solo announcer, how I really didn't like it, but I okay. felt like with Vince here as our solo commentator, I liked it. Yeah, and I mean that could maybe be helped by the fact that it was a, a very short yeah. match too. Which well, yeah. Def- yeah, definitely helped me helped me out. And I, one of the things I noticed about this match was the ring looked super, super stiff. Uh, sure, it, yeah, it did. It, it did. It, it wasn't me or did this ring seem also super gigantic? Uh, I don't know. I guess I didn't really notice that. Okay. Now, did you, I, I alluded to it earlier, but did you notice who our ring announcer was? No. It was baby, baby Gary Michael Capetta. <laughs> That's and funny. he had the highest voice ever. He's like, Juan Lopez. And then, and then he was like, from Portland, Oregon, Ken Patera. You sure it wasn't Juan Lopez? <laughs> yeah. As in the number one. <laughs> yeah, I, I am sure. I am sure. So Patera just, this is a complete squash. He just hammers. Oh, 
He he just hammers one Lopez. He's throwing him around the ring. He knee drops him. Then he kind of works a sleeper hold, uh, puts him in the full Nelson, swings him around. And what is what did Vince call this? The swinging full Nelson, the swinging neck breaker, which which made me laugh. Like like oh yeah, because I've even put in my notes. Patero slaps on the swinging neck breaker. Like, yeah, swinging like, neck Like, wait a, wait a second. Vince even said, oh, Patero slaps on the swinging neck breaker. The yeah, full he's, Nelson. Like, yeah, he's like, on, he Vince. gets rid of full Nelson. Now he turns it into a swinging neck breaker. <laughs> well, it's 1978. We haven't really gotten into the naming of moves here. Yes. So. But, yeah, uh, that, made, that made me laugh. And, and yeah, then the uh, referee stopped the match due to a submission. Then. Yep. But Ken Patero would uh, refuse to let go. Then, so there's some some uh, faces came down. Uh, Jay Strongbow and Bob Backlund came. Down. No, you missed that. Okay. First, back, okay, back up. What happened? First, Johnny Rivera comes out, and Vince goes, "Johnny Rivera." And then he, so he beats Johnny Rivera, he throws him outside, and then Vince is like, another individual out. So <laughs> Vince doesn't even know who these other guys are. So another individual and an unnamed man try to break it up, but Patera throws them out, and then he locks the swing neck breaker on Juan Lopez again. Uh, and then, yes, now we get like the big names. Yeah, the, uh, Chief Jay Strongbow and Bob Backlund came down and. That's when Patera let go of the sweaty neck breaker full Nelson maneuver and ran and high him chief off. Peter, high Chief Peter Maivia as well. Yeah. And uh, then the what McMahon said, the WWF president came down. Willie, Gle- Willie Gleisenberg. Okay, I'm happy you took down his name. Who is this Willie Gleisenberg dude? Not a clue. Okay. Then I am sad that the clip ended partly into a – uh, the WWF president's speech, but the president was saying that he is suspending Mr. Patera. Indefinitely. Yeah. I think he got his whole thing out. I'm yeah. suspending Ken Patera indefinitely. Uh, I think like right when he was saying indefinitely or whatever his last word, that's when the clip ended, like, right? He was finished saying, uh, put out like the last syllable or whatever. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, uh and after Patera got ran off the face, or before the WWF president was, uh, was talking, the faces put Lopez out on a stretcher. On the cheapest looking stretcher of all time, yes. I would I would dare say. So the winner is one Lopez via disqualification. <laughs> yes, you're right. And I had to rate this match one star only for Patera's swinging neckbreaker for <laughs> I went done. To me, yeah, this was another squash match, and I know I read in the YouTube notes that this was a way to write Ken Patera off the of TV for a while. I think. Oh, okay, reason, sure, so. sure, right on. That makes so, sense. So I felt like they did a good job on writing him off for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm thinking maybe he goes to Mid Atlantic Television. Yeah, that's because uh, <laughs> we have, you know, one. In 77, we got this, and then 78, we got uh, him him in Mid-Atlantic. So. so we might as well take a quick break where we can uh, stretch our legs, do what we need to do, and then we'll be right back with our Jobber and Mid-Event Status Star here on Main Event Status Radio. Let's do it. We have to take a break. The tape machines are rolling as always. If the match ends during the break, we'll show you what happened. If not, hang on to your seats. We'll be back. 
Hold on, hold on. I don't agree with the Everyone's talking here. Go ahead, Dave. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words saying. Okay. Even though though, the mom is white, the baby's going to be considered an African-American. People stop and stare. I can't see their faces. Only the shadows of their eyes. But if his dad is black, then that would mean that he's that. That would mean that he's a black man. His mom is black. I'm back. I'm the dirty, dirty Steinus, and I'm always here to talk about my trucks, trucks, trucks. But today, I'm here with Dirty Hills, Dusty Hills, whatever his name is, and we're here to talk about podcast. Oh man, if you don't know who I am already, Mr. Steinus, well you, I don't think I need introductions, but I guess I do, baby. This is the man that they call Dusty Hills. I have rode up and down the road for 20 years, baby. Talking about trucks, talking about cars, talking about vans. You know, I will talk about anything with my man, Mr. Dog Stamis here, here in Tampa, Florida. But today he tell me talk about podcasts. You know, this is some hard time podcast for Mr. Dusty Hills. We, we just started... You know, I started out of the ditch, eight years old. I'm listening to podcasts on my daddy's car radio. By the way, you can get a car here at Mr. Mr. Dog Samus's lot. Then we go, we talk. I listen to podcasts on on the Wrecking Player. Yeah, with Wrecking Player Daddy. Then come around. They tell me, they tell me, Dusty Hills, we got this thing called Cassette and listen to the cassette podcast and the CD podcast. And then finally, they give me, they give me this iPod. And they tell, tell me, Dusty Hills, listen on this iPod and this podcast thing. And I say, Cole, come on, daddy. I listen to everything. Why you give me this iPod thing? But I stumbled upon, I, I was looking through iTunes, daddy. And I look, and I look past all the, the stats and all the different wrestling podcasts, and I listen to that that dirty man, that Ross report. He's so saucy. I don't like it. I listen to one one cast that turn it off. But then I find this this podcast called main event status radio with the dirty dog Darcy and then Mr. Beverly Hills. Oh man did I love it. Ooh wee made me think about think about my times with uh with Baby Doll. It had me happy like that. So I say everybody buy a call from Dirty Dog Stamith. Listen to the podcast main event status radio. Love Dusty Hills. I love you. Good night. I heard it through the grapevine. Oh, wow. I heard it through the grapevine. (laughs) Yeah. 
Mr. Luger, Mr. Luger, I saw what just happened out there with Ron Killens. I just want to ask you, I mean, what are your plans for the next show, Super Brawl Saturday? I mean, are you, are you going to take care of Ron Killens? What kind of disgusting, despicable lack of respect does that Billy What's-His-Name show booking a match for the total package Lex Luger and Super Brawl? Super Saturday? What is it? I don't even know what it's called. What is it called? Super Brawl Saturday. Super Brawl Saturday? Can he afford to pay me to wrestle run? I don't know. I'm one of the biggest legends and stars ever in this. God. And your t-shirts are too tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me against Ryan Killings. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. All right. Welcome everybody back. We're going to finish her out here. Finish on here. My jobber has to be the company Ohio Valley Wrestling. Oh, jeepers. Because I hated hearing the announcers over the house mic. And can you start making her bowling? Hi. <laughs> well, my, <laughs> my jobber is Juan, a.k.a. Juan Lopez. <laughs> Why was one? Why Lopez? would his name be Juan Lopez? Because of my bad hearing, I don't know. Just because he gets squashed mercilessly by Ken Patera. Wait, what about Bill Mercer? <laughs> Why was one Lopez your jobber? I just said. Oh, okay, whatever. My bad, I wasn't listening, Gorilla. Okay, yep. then my mid event set of star has to be the one who put one Lopez with a sweetie neckbreaker, Phil Nelson, Ken Patera. I really loved his mic work for the promo that we watched. I really loved how he, he put over his strength in the promo, as noted, and in, for the swinging full Nelson neckbreaker that we watched in the match from WWF 1990, 1977. Yeah, I actually want, uh, not Juan Lopez. Ken Patera is my, my main eventer as well. He's, I, I would dare say, almost... Um, when we look at these last three episodes, probably the the first person that was able to put together a good promo and a good match, oh. um, or look strong in both of them. Even though I had rated his match a dud, he he comes across really strong and really you know kicks ass in it, and uh, he really looked good in, in the promo too, coming across very classy, very like yeah, he's a heel, but not you know over the top. Um, yeah, I was. I liked it. Same here. Like, you, you really, you really kicked butt throughout. So we might also do our plugs for the podcast. You listeners can listen to us at one of one of three ways over at our website, maineventstatus.com. Again, that's maineventstatus.com. You guys can also listen to us on SoundCloud. You can search us out on the feed in the library, Status Radio, or go to our URL, soundcloud.com slash Radio. Again, that's soundcloud.com slash Radio. That's all one word. And Mr. Beverly Hills, how do you listen to Main Event Status Radio? I listen to Main Event Status Radio through the lovely service called iTunes. It, and it, so please listen to us through iTunes. Rate, comment, subscribe. Uh, put us up those ranks when I get to the top. It, it, iTunes is absolutely free once... It gets uploaded to SoundCloud. You automatically go up on iTunes, and you can download it as you know for free. Yeah, rate us, rate us, subscribe to us. You know, comment. Let us move on up the charts because we want to beat Jim Ross in the Ross Report because we're tired of his saucy attitude, gorilla. Yep. 
We're, you guys can interact with us on the social media ends. We're on Facebook. Search us out on the library or the feed or whatever else, Men of Insiders Radio, or go to our, pay, well, our page at facebook.com slash Men of Insiders Radio. That's all one word, facebook.com slash Men of Insiders Radio, or we're also on Twitter. Mr. Beverly yep. Hills, how can the fine, fine, sweet listeners of Men of Insiders Radio interact with you on the Twitter machine? You can interact with me, you can talk to me, you can do whatever, tell me whatever you want, at Beverly Hills M-E-S. And for me, it's at Dirty Dog M-E-S on the Twitter machine, that's dog as in D-A-W-G, at Dirty Dog M-E-S. And Mr. Beverly Hills, do you have any final comments on the, any other superstars or the letters that we just covered here on this episode? Um, you know, maybe not the high points of their careers, but a couple cool things, um, you know, looking at Patera, looking at kind of a hidden gem match between Luger and, and Sid, in my opinion. So, you know, it's, it's a crapshoot. That's the whole point of the series. So, yeah. And I think I may have mentioned this before, but I've been enjoying the series because, like I said, we've seen the highs, the lows, and everything in between of the superstars that we've been reviewing. So it's been fun. Yep. Right. And it's like you said, or like we kind of mentioned earlier, sometimes they're hidden treasures. Sometimes they should just stay hidden. <laughs> For Mr. Beverly Hills, I'm the Dirty Dog Darcy. Adios, Mint Adventures. And your T-shirts are too tight, too, Darcy. There's that neck, there's that full Nelson, and the swinging neckbreaker. We haven't seen that applied since Billy White Wolf, ladies and gentlemen. Patera applying that swinging neckbreaker. Juan Lopez down to the canvas. I'm sure Lopez has long since given up. Now the referee signifying that the match is over. Patera continuing to hold, continuing to apply the pressure. The referee has counted to at least 20 by now, but yet Patera will not release the hold. Then the time when I said goodbye, and now I'm back and not ashamed to cry. Ooh, baby, here I am, signed to deliver. I'm yours. When I said goodbye And now I'm back And not ashamed to cry Ooh, baby Here I am Good night, everybody! That's so good.